What's up, faggots? Spooky Jim here. It's, um, it's been a while. I, uh, you know, we promised a new episode every month, but, uh, since my team consists of, uh, lazy faggots, we haven't been putting out any work whatsoever. But, uh, I've, uh, I've, I've whipped them back into shape and then never heard of it, and sure enough, we got back on schedule. <laughs> sort of. But, uh, we had a couple disappearances over our laziness, and, you know, then, then we had this, this cuckold who, who tried writing some shit, and he was just awful. And he cried little bitch tears when he told him, when, when, when we told him it was trash. He was, he was kind of a, a boner, if you, if you get my drift. <laughs> Anyways, if, if you got talent, feel free to join. Looking, look, look through the threads if you're interested in becoming a, a whipped or a whipper. Alright, so t today's lineup. We, we got another incident report, some shit creepypasta about a shadow. I, I don't fucking know. The, the worst interview that I've probably ever heard with some fucking psychopath from Outback fucking Steakhouse. Then we have a 40-year-old mother with alcohol abuse issues tell you how to properly shove your head up your own ass and use your third eye to take a good look around, and then some more crap film reviews. Completely original, right? I mean, well, uh, fuck, is, fuck, I think that's it, right? Uh, so, uh, here's the show, I guess, um, stay spooky. This is KGB agent Jan Mirakov. I'm broadcasting from Duga 3 in the abandoned radio relay in Chernobyl, Ukraine. I've escaped the Siberian prison of Black Dolph. They kept me there for revealing secrets involving the Soviet space program and what has actually been going on behind the Iron Curtain. My good friend Andre McEwen was sent on a suicide mission to space and so he has 5265 capsule under the ruse that he would be going to the moon. However, the truth is much more sinister. There are things out there, just beyond the great veil of black, waiting, dark things, that the Soviets thought they could control. I can only hope to God that they will not find me. Someone must hear me. Is there anyone out there? These messages must be heard. Mission Control. Mission Control. This is Andre McEwen. 
aboard the Soyuz 5265 reporting in. Do you copy? Over. Repeat. This is Andre McEwen aboard Soyuz 5265. Mission control. Do you read? Over. All systems green. Oxygen level 78%. Power level 68%. Fuel 73%. Entering lunar orbit in T minus 90 seconds. I'm fine. Lonely as hell, comrade. I do so miss my family. My darling Elena. Nah. I couldn't imagine wearing your boots that way. The claustrophobia, the loneliness. Never was there a man as far from the soul as you. Niet, comrade. It is not the loneliness that frightens me. If I were to be true to myself, the thing that frightens me most is the view. Not of Earth, of course. She is beautiful. It's when the ship occasionally turns on its side and nothing is in the view. That emptiness. That abysmal black sea of infinity. It's different while looking over long distances on Earth because you know there is civilization out there somewhere. Or at the very least, another human soul within the next hundred miles. But up here, there is just nothing. I had to cover up the window before I sleep. Who was it that said, if you gaze long into an abyss, the abyss will gaze into thee? I believe it was Frederick. Mission Control, do you read me? Mission Control, I repeat, do you read? Detaching. Uh, Soyuz 5265, check your trajectory. You seem to be heading 12 degrees too far from your target zone. I'm what? Shit. Oh shit. Fuck. Shit, mission control. My controls are malfunctioning. I can't. Fuck. Mission control. I repeat, my controls are malfunctioning. Andre, listen very carefully. You need to control this vessel with instinct. You're about to shoot past your mouth and let's take a Mission control. Mission control. No, no, no. Fuck. No. God, I don't want to die like this. I don't want to die. Help. Please, someone.
Wait. What the fuck is that? No. No, 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 no. Get out of my head. How? How is this even possible? I never knew. I never knew. And now, for the next part of the story. Lucy awoke with a start. Her eyes saw nothing in the blackness. Odd, she thought, there was always a fire roaring in her bedroom. The girl swung her legs to edge herself off the bed, but found that there was no bed. Instead, she realized that she lay on the floor of a room that was not her own. Confused, she scrambled around, seeing nothing, hearing nothing. Beneath her the floor was cold like ice. The walls, she found, were cold like ice. In a panic, she screamed. Let me out of here! Her screams seemed muffled, like something was drinking them in. Drinking her screams like a Sauvignon Blanc with a nice white fish. Quickly, she stopped. A logical thinker, she knew that her screams were useless, and whatever had trapped her was growing fat and drunk from her fear. On the floor, she sat to devise a plan. And on the floor, she planned. Her bare ass burned from the ice-like temperature. It seemed that the walls sucked everything away. She wondered whether the walls would soon suck her away, and that gave her a plan. Nothing was known about the place she was in. She had to find out what it was about. Standing, she steadied herself. With no light to be seen, her feet were unsteady. But walking gingerly, she reached the corner. From the corner, she stepped with a hand on the wall. Counting the paces, she reached eight spaces. About six feet, she reckoned. Turning to measure the next one, she heard her name beckoned. Lucy, a voice whispered, she thought, but couldn't be sure. Shrugging it off, she paced once more. Eight spaces again, and six feet more. A strong believer in the factualness of the Bible, her mind began to race while her arms extended to check the height of the ceiling. Once again, the space seemed to reach six feet, a fact that left her head reeling. Mired in dread, a familiar feeling, she briefly paused to wonder if she had drawn someone's ire. She had many victims. She was not a nice person. Had someone from her past come back for revenge? Her musings were interrupted by yet another whisper. Lucy. She heard as her hair stood on end. Swinging and flinging her arms in the blackness, she sought to strike the invisible interlocutor, but found only air as the speaker laughed harshly. Backing into her corner, she shied away from the fight. She felt a pang like ice on her right. The walls were closing in. Why? She whispered into the night, never expecting a reply. She was surprised when in the darkness a shadow appeared, darker even than the surrounding void. Lucy refused to show her fear, instead standing tall and issuing a command. Release me, she said staring at the void where her tormentor's eyes should have been. Not a sound could be heard, 
but the grinding of the walls as they continued to close on Lucy's legs. Against all instinct, she began to wonder, did she need to beg? Her body didn't betray her, and her mind stayed strong. She did not quiver. She did not bend. She dismissed the thought of kowtowing to her attacker as the walls reached her feet, and the room seemed to go blacker. Eons passed in Lucy's mind as still no reply she received from the form. Still, she did not move as she remained still. The walls began to push, and still she remained. The pressure unbearable, the force too much. Lucy could no longer fight it, but still she fought. Ever staring into the eyes of the shadow, she braced herself further, and the wall could not move her. It was the void that gave way first, screaming an ethereal no, swarming at Lucy in an attempt to make her flinch. The form did not succeed and instead passed straight through her, into the wall, and melting with a painful scream as it was destroyed by its own trap. Not the last of its kind, more shadows appeared, angry at Lucy's arrogance and the loss of their friend. Still firm, Lucy stood, repeating once again, Release me, cretins, or be forever damned! The shadows converged, unsure of Lucy's might. How had she withstood the walls, which even gave them a fright? Whispered discussion was very briefly had, the shadows unsure of how to deal with this threat. A leader emerged and snapped his mist-like fingers. Lucy was free to leave. She was not to be a meal today. The shadows retreated into the icy void, leaving only the leader. Tell me, what is your name? Said the final shadow to the unbroken girl. Lucy continued to stare, heart rate slightly faster, not out of fear, but anger and rage. Who were these dreadful creatures to challenge her without even knowing her name? They took her from her bed, in her domain. Surely they knew. Or this was some kind of trick. Remove these walls and I can show you, Lucy commanded. The shadow obeyed without hesitation, perhaps sensing its mistake or being genuinely curious. Lucy emerged in a field in Surrey. Outraged and furious and free to use her magic. With a snap of her fingers, she and the creature were back in her kingdom. She ascended to her throne as the shadow looked dumbfounded. Murmurs and shouts all around abounded. Lucifer lives! Came the cries of the masses. The shadow turned to flee, now knowing what it had done. Fear in its eyes if it had emotions or eyes. A cage appeared made of flowing blackness, ironic then that the attacker was to be imprisoned in a fashion similar to its own malice. Lucy was definitely not tactless. And so ends the story of the Shadow People, a cautionary tale told to little demons. Never take a king from her bed you never know what malice might be wrought. Remember this story when out of the corner of your eye you see a flickering shadow, hiding 
outside the light and outside the dark. Their kind exiled from reality. Don't say hello. Our Lucy just might come for you too. And now, it's time for part two. But then... Hi, I'm Matthew, and I'm here today interviewing an ex-user. His name is Ram, a student of the occult, and he's here to talk about the occult and various schools of magic. So, Ram, you want to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background on yourself? My name's Ram. I've been studying occult for about four years. I've been doing my own personal paranormal investigations for quite a while. Kind of seems like the next step to just study it, you know, closely. I'm sure we can completely understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I'm sure everyone has that that um, instinct. Yeah, well, we're all on X, so that's kind of the thing. So if you could give me a brief overview of uh, what you specialize in in terms of magic... And, and a brief overview of magic, too, if you will. Okay, well, magic in terms of occult can come in many forms, such as alchemy or astrology. One of the most prominent forms is definitely ceremonial magic, as it's used in almost every school, such as uh, Wiccan or paganism. But... um. Yeah, it's it's a hard question to answer because it's such a complex answer. But um, yeah, it's magic is whatever you whatever you take it really. Okay, uh, in that case, let's talk about what you specialize in. I'm traversed in hermetic magic, which is based on Kabbalism, and um, Kabbalism is an ancient Hebrew school of magic. All right, so when we talk Hebrew, we're talking like way back in the day. Uh, like BC era. Yeah, we're talking very okay. old. Uh, very so old. whereabouts BC. did Kabbalism start? It's a rite, a uh, passage. Um, it originates from Egyptian ceremonial magic, so it's always been around, you know, for, okay. for a long time. So, and essentially, uh, Hermitism is sort of a branch of that. Yeah, it's Renaissance magic, which comes from Kabbalism. It's got a lot of Kabbalistic elements. You know, it's it, it comes from that. It's born from it. Okay. So we have the specialization in Hermeticism. And what kinds of magic is available with Hermeticism? Well, it's actually an interesting question because there's infinite, to be honest. There's infinite. Because the magic comes from familiars. And familiars are infinite in numbers. So everything that they are skilled in is infinite. So you could want anything. You could you could ask for anything and you would so get it. So all of those lonely guys on X who ask for a succubus, they yeah. could they could possibly, oh, you know. Oh, instantly. Yeah, you wouldn't even have to ask oh. the the familiar for a spell. You would just have to ask the right familiar and they would be your succubus for eternity. I'm oh wow. Know. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that, hey, just keep in mind, it's for life, guys, and a little bit beyond that. Okay, so these familiars, essentially, um, 
they have an infinite power, so to speak. Infinite wisdom, In Infinite yes. wisdom. And through that, they can offer you their skill, which is magic. So Yeah, depending on which so one essentially, you essentially, yeah. you're not casting spells or anything yourself. You are asking these familiars to do it for you. Okay, so when you go about asking these familiars, what's stopping this familiar from just saying, hey, fuck you? Well, most of the times, unless you have the right authority, they won't even appear. It's like trying to ask Lucifer a question. Like, Lucifer oh, is not going to answer your question. He's got a lot more important things to do. So if you don't have the right authority nothing's even going to bother with you you know if you don't have the right intention if you don't have the the correct uh symbol nothing's going to happen okay so that brings me to my next question which is what is the right authority okay um depending on what what school you're a part of what what magic you practice um i can't speak on behalf of Wiccans or um, a lot of pagan rituals, because I'm not, I'm not um, schooled in that. But in terms of Renaissance magic, um, you can either do it under the authority of God, or you can do it through submitting yourself to the familiar's will. Now, um, I definitely, definitely recommend knowing exactly what you're doing before you even attempt even if you want to see if it's real because even if nothing happens you could have potentially um damaged your soul or damaged anything that was otherwise not damaged before you um attempted a ritual it depends on which way you want to go about it um if you want the authority of god it's a very long and requires a lot of dedication in order to acquire that authority but if you're okay with quote unquote selling your soul, right. then you can go about it on your own free will and you've got no protection nor authority. So whatever happens, happens, I guess. So essentially there's the quick and easy way. There's the quick and easy way, but potentially lethal and um, very dangerous. There, there's actually a story from a book, the book of the sacred magic of Abermel and the mage. And in, there's a story in this book that goes along the lines of this man that had um was notorious for selling his soul and doing evil magic and um real quickly but he 27 years later he was actually found with his tongue cut out and his head dragged across pavement with blood everywhere like like something had just come along and it was a mystery like no one could solve it this man had just been dragged along the concrete and and beaten to death and so you know, essentially, so, you reap what you sow. Yeah, so I, uh, I would say that man made a particularly foul deal, and his time ran out. Very similar to, um, if anyone's a fan of the Twenty Seven Club, um, old Robert Johnson, he was said to have performed a Faust, which is selling your soul to the devil and inquiring some particular skill or um, great knowledge in something, and he died at the age of twenty seven. No one knows how he just well his life was poorly documented, but um ever since then a lot of famous blues players have died at the age of twenty seven also, so it's kind of along those lines of um that's not going to happen to you obviously but depending on pretending 
whichever, whatever you decide. It reeks of conspiracy, you know. to be 100% fair with you. But uh, we're not here for that. So what can you tell me about your experiences with magic? <laughs> um, well, I can tell you experiences I've had in terms of paranormal, but I actually have never tried. Well, I have, but I've never tried anything malicious. Well, why don't we go with what you've uh, experienced? Any any foul problems? Yeah, there's a transcript of names in the Book of the Sacred Magic of Abramel and the Mage, and it lists four princes, eight sub-princes, and a list of familiars under those princes. And um, I performed a Ouija board, and I tried to contact Belial, which is one of the four princes, and nothing, nothing happened during that Ouija board, but the two weeks after, I had dreams non-stop that as soon as I fell asleep, I must have been dreaming about eight or ten or, or just so many dreams and I could remember all of them very vividly. They were of me killing animals and like cutting their throats and drinking their blood and stuff. It didn't occur throughout the day. Throughout the day, I was like, like what's happening to me? And, and then at night, as soon as I was full asleep, like these violent... And it wasn't anything outside of violence. It wasn't rape or anything like that. It was just killing. So that's probably the most heinous thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and that, that goes under the thing of like a lot of Renaissance magic teaches you about respect and stuff like that. And um, the way in which I tried to contact Belial was not respectful at all, you know, and I think that it might have been a repercussion of that. That's my personal experience. I don't, I study it, okay. I don't practice it. I, I completely I mean. understand where you're coming from. All right, so quite honestly, uh, if I were to start having dreams like that out of nowhere, kind of, I would I would feel a little concerned. Yeah. Oh, complete. I'm I, I'm not a I'm not a violent guy. Like that was completely out of nowhere. I never have dreams like that. And if I do, they're to do with myself, like because it might be like an insecurity or something like that. So it'll be inflicted on me. Whereas this was completely outwards. It it was nothing to do with me, and it wasn't even me. Like I could just tell it wasn't. It wasn't me in these dreams. It was right. something else, you know. It was like I was viewing it through something in someone else's eyes. Okay, so a cautionary tale to Just begin be with. Just be completely certain on what you're doing. I would say. Right. It seems like you want uh, our audience, if they are curious at all, to do as much research as possible. Definitely. Do you have any jumping-off points you would suggest? Uh yeah, definitely. Um, like I said before, I can't. I can't give you any recommendations in terms of Wiccan or like modern day witchcraft or, or voodooism or, or um, pagan, but I can, if you want to study hermetic um, or Renaissance magic, definitely look up um, the book of the sacred magic of Abermel and the Mage because that's a great um, starting book. It's a grimoire, but it's a light grimoire, so it's nothing too um, strong. You know, it's nothing too malicious to begin with. Um, if you're, if you are just straight up, um, want to fuck shit up and you don't give, you don't care about your soul or your well-being, um, get the greater key of Solomon. It was originally called the key of Solomon, but, um, the translator SL Mathers made a lesser key. So now it's, um, inherited the title greater key. The greater key of Solomon is, 
um, accredited to King Solomon, and it's just a, a book of of rituals that you can perform that um, you don't need the authority of God to do beforehand. Okay. So, the Greater Key of Solomon. Are you suggesting that Solomon was, in fact, a to put it quite frankly, a magician? Ah, uh, yeah, he was. He was noted as one of the earliest exorcists. So, um, and he was noted as being a very wise and intelligent man. He wrote a so lot of people who are literature. People who are curious can definitely look this up on their own. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. He he was noted as being uh, one of the first exorcists, and it is said in a lot of Renaissance magic and hermetic scripture that. He abused that power towards the end of his life. Mm. And this book, which was written, The Greater Key was written in uh, 1400 AD, something in that century. And it's accredited to have been written from King Solomon, not written by him in that day that on the day that it was written, but spells and the rituals that are in the book are accredited to be his. But it also is, from many sources, has been noted as being wrongly attributed. There's really not a lot known about it, you know. Uh, he said, she said case. Yeah, that's right. She said, he said. Right. Right. But um, according to legend by now, um, he abused that power. So now a lot of that magic uh, isn't attributed to him uh, as to keep it sort of under wraps. Mm. Yeah, I don't know too much about King Solomon. Um, I haven't really studied King Solomon. We didn't talk much about the second path uh, that you could take, the uh, the long and arduous one. Um, that path is a very, very, very hard path to go down. It's essentially, there's two ways of commanding spirits or familiars, as I said earlier. So one is through the authority of God and one is through submitting yourself into the familiar. The authority of God acquiring that um, takes a certain operation, which is actually the basis of the book of the Sacred Magic of Abermelon Mage. And it's a ritual that takes six months. And if anyone is um, a fan of Alistair Crowley, which is a great, um, a well-known figure in, in the world of the occult, he tried this operation twice. The first time um, he got annoyed and... Uh, quit it midway through and then the second time he went into the desert and it's actually how he came up with sex magic i think but this operation is very hard to, to undergo because there's there's a list of uh, rules and, and qualifications if you will that you must do before you can even attempt it and there's a lot of, like a list of guidelines and so forth so in total there are 39 guidelines to this operation. Um, the operation, it goes for six months. It has to be started the day after Easter. Okay, so it would be on a Monday. Just a brief explanation of the operation. What the operation is aiming for is to contact your guardian angel. And your guardian angel will serve as the third party between you and God. Kind of like priests are given God's authority to um, forgive you for your sins, you know? So it's it, they, they serve as that medium between you 
and God. They're the middleman in a sense. And they have God's authority and they have God's will and they have God's wisdom. So the operation is to contact your guardian angel. Now, some of the hardest things about this operation is that no one of sin can see a guardian angel. So in order to contact your guardian angel, you have to be something of innocence, pure innocence. You know, but if you undergo the operation without the full intent of completing it, you've mocked God, you've disrespected God, and he'll never grant you the authority ever. So if you attempt to do it, you attempt to do it once, and you can't ever do it again, unless there's something outside of your means that has made you have to stop. Um, also, you have to pray every Sabbath day. You have to... Um, do it in a secluded area in which you have to keep clean, in which you have to keep um, smelling beautiful. You have to keep lit incense. You have to clean it like every Sabbath day. You can't um, sleep during the day. You can't spill blood of any creature. There's a lot of fasting that goes on during it. Um, you know, so it's, it's a very strenuous operation that you have to do. And it, it's... It really is probably the most intense commitment, you know, like you have to spend six months of your life as a hermit inside of a room, on a property, away from everyone. No one can see what you're doing. It has to be in complete solidarity. Um, that's why um, Abraham, who is the star of the Book of the Sacred Magic of Abermelon the Mage, went into a desert and found... Abermelon, who's a hermit, and he, he walked him through all of it. So you have to do it in complete solidarity. You have to, there's just a million checklists, checkpoints that you have to a pass and tons of guidelines. And, and it's really, I, on, I would go as far as to say is that no one in our um, generation, no one in our modern day would be capable of completing it. No, six months seems like a lifetime that's it and (laughs) especially it's it's such a commitment it really is and that's that's another thing why i have never tried anything because if i was to try something i would want the authority of god right and that one one chance only it's such a long and strenuous progress yep yep also god's gonna know what you want to use it for so if you want to use it for you you can only use it for in benefit of your neighbor you know, so um, if you're going to use it just to acquire a bit of money or to acquire a bit of power or to fly or something like that, it's not going to get granted to you no matter how dedicated you are to God, you know. So um, anyone who wants to perform any operation, I'm not suggesting it, but your time would be less wasted if you went about it in means of submitting yourself because, you know, you're practically not going to be given the authority of God. Okay. Uh, of course, you know, at your own risk, you know, you're taking your life into your own hands. Yeah, that's it. And you've got to be real. Like, I'm a good man. I think I try to, to live my life in accordance to God's will, but I know that I would use it in the wrong, you know, like you've got to be real about that kind of shit. You can't just say, you can't just say to yourself, oh, you know, like I'm a good man. I'm a good, honest Christian. Because another thing God hates and that every spirit hates is ignorance. Like, if, you, if you're ignorant to anything, 
you know, it's it's just stupid. You can't just be a God lover and go along and think that God's going to give you his authority because you've got to be an extremely intelligent, an extreme, non-ignorant whatsoever, you know. I listen to your song and it's very good. I actually enjoy the um, the religion created by Alistair Crowley, you know, he's got... from either of those faggots ever again. Here's a token, girl. Namaste, X, and welcome to the first guided, communal, non-judgmental learning session with your host, Suzanne. Today, we're going to be learning about meditation, what it is, what it can do for you spiritually, mentally, and physically, and most importantly, how to do it. <laughs> Meditate, that is. Not it. Maybe we can talk about doing it in another show. On the topic of doing it, I'm currently writing my own version of the Kama Sutra for single people. A lot of research, but a um, little end product. Let's get back to the meditation. First, what is meditation? In the tradition of the Buddha people, meditation is used to observe your body. When you meditate the Buddha way, your mind and soul and body become one. And you begin to hear yourself, describe yourself to yourself. It's a magical experience grounded in the mundane, and you can't truly know yourself if you don't meditate. Meditation is the ultimate act of self-gratification because you never touch yourself in a dirty, western mechanical manner. You follow the Eastern philosophy of mental masturbation. I gratify myself every single day, and sometimes more than once. And you should too. It's good for you. Your spirit is very important. Think of it like your essence, your chi. Without it, you're a zombie. Everyone has a spirit. Some types of rocks have spirits. Spirits are all around us. I'm looking at a particularly lovely 18-year-old single malt right now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on the wagon. <laughs> I almost forgot. My psychiatrist says I shouldn't think about the drink too much. It might set me back quite a lot. You know, before I started meditating, I was a little bit of an alcoholic. Can you imagine that? I'm so well-adjusted, nobody can even pick up on it. At my yoga meetings, I'm the guru. Everyone asks me for advice. Where to find the mats, where to put the mats, how to unlock the cupboard where the mats are kept. Seriously, people just ask me everything. Okay, so, we know what meditation is, and we know what your spirit is. What about your mind? Well, you know, meditation is the most relaxing thing you can do. Except for heroin, of course. It lowers your blood pressure, makes you sweat less, really slows you down. And meditation, that is. 
Not heroin. My psychiatrist tells me heroin is bad, too. When I was taking heroin, I was super anxious all the time. Meditation really helped me with that. Now I'm never anxious unless I have to leave the house. My aura is just so healthy right now. People tell me I I'm a blue, even when I'm feeling like a green. And that's all thanks to meditation. And quitting heroin. I really think you would all benefit from some mindfulness techniques. That's just another name for meditation. I like to confuse uh, the maid, Clarissa, sometimes by mixing up my words like that. <laughs> she doesn't understand at all. I'm sorry. Here I am talking about me when we should be talking about meditation. Well, first, I want you to get some things. You'll need a mat. Obviously, but a nice carpeted floor will do fine in a pinch. Now I want you to have two electric candles placed either side of you. Not real ones. Those are dangerous. Turn out all the lights and draw the curtains. Make sure you turn your cell phone right off and put it in another room. This is important. Sometimes when I meditate, I can feel the phone in the room with me and it's very distracting. I just feel an overwhelming urge to crack open a nice rosé and scroll through Facebook. That's very bad when you're practicing mindfulness, so make sure your phone is in another room. Now that we're all set up, I want you to listen to my voice and nothing else. Close your eyes. That's good. Empty your mind and stop thinking. If you think of something, just throw it to the side and focus on the blackness you see. If you hear yourself thinking, just gently let it go. And breathe. Don't think about it. Just do it. In through the nose and out through the mouth. In through the nose and out through the mouth. In through the nose and out through the mouth. Okay. Now I'm going to start up some music my therapist gave me. Keep breathing. In through the nose and out through the mouth. I want you to relax your muscles. Start at the neck. Feel the tension slipping away. Good. Now your shoulders. And your chest. Now the waist. That's good. And we're breathing, breathing, breathing. Good. Now you're nice and relaxed. I want you to keep breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. Keep your mind blank. I just jacked off to that voice. Now here's a bad review of a bad movie.
You have no idea how it feels not to be trusted. You've got to trust me too, Chloe. How can you trust someone who thinks you're crazy? Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to X-Radio's movie discussion segment. I'm Matthew, and with me I have Sophia. Hey, everyone. The movie we're going to be discussing today is Gothica. Yes, it was released back in 2003, and it runs a good one hour and 40 minutes. So it's a good movie if you're in for watching something spooky for a whole night. And this movie definitely got me spooked. Yeah, it's definitely very... Uh, it has a lot of very good, unsettling... Um, visual elements but beyond that i also feel that it's kind of cheesy in a way yeah but i mean it has it has like hell barry in it it has yeah. penelope cruz and it has it has robert downey jr man so <laughs> no matter so, how you swing there's something in here for you mm -mm -mm. and i can reveal already now before we get to the plot line there is a beautiful shower scene with hell barry that quickly takes a sinister turn the idea is Halle Berry is working as a psychiatrist, psychiatrist I believe. Yeah. Yes, and she's eventually she sees a patient played by Penelope Cruz who's been uh, raped by the devil, and, or so she says. Or so she says, and then Halle Berry kills her husband with an axe, and it's a very, it's. <laughs> Things get really fast, really quick. Halle Berry is going home one night, and she sees this uh, lady that she thought thought she hit with her car, and there's like kind of an accident, but not really. And it's raining, and she goes out, and she sees, and she gets touched by this person, and all of a sudden, her life is turned upside down. Yeah, well, essentially, this um, psychiatrist Miranda Gray, played by Halle Berry, where she used to work at this facility for criminally insane women, where she used to be outside the cells suddenly she wakes up inside one of the cells and everybody thinks that she's crazy and she keeps stating that no she isn't crazy but who's gonna believe somebody who just axe murdered her husband in a grisly brutal gruesome way of course she's a woman of logic so she tries to well reason with herself and rationalize what is happening but quickly it turns out that this is not just a psychotic breakdown there is much more to it because creepy shit starts happening of course right so eventually as she keeps digging she realizes there's a conspiracy and that the local sheriff is actually responsible for a lot of mental patients rapes yeah and even worse she discovers due to a ghost well th this plot is gonna sound weird if you haven't watched the movie and this sort of reveals everything this is one it huge is, spoiler it is really all. out there <laughs> Yeah, but essentially she gets haunted by this ghost girl who like scratches her arm, keeps writing, not alone, not alone, keeps haunting her, showing up, frightening her to communicate to her that her husband has in fact murdered several young girls and done grisly, gruesome, torturous things to them. And he's together with the sheriff of the town in all of this. And that's why they could do this pretty much unnoticed. Yeah, and because Halle Berry finds out, like, her, her character, I should say, Miranda Gray, kills her husband. That's why. That's why that happens. Yes, exactly. In all this, one of the things that I personally really enjoyed about this movie was the whole visual feeling. It has this old-school horror feel to it. It's very, a lot of color grading in elements. Yeah. And it has the rain and the huge, like, scary-looking mental ward and all that. 
It's really a lot of that stuff's very well done, and the acting is the acting's really really good. Everybody plays their roles very well. Halle Berry has this really weird moment in a mirror where she freaks out, and it's kind of cool, but then it turns really cheesy because it, it lasts for a little too long. I think uh, Robert Downey Jr. is really good. He's he plays uh, he plays this obnoxious guy, uh, one of her colleagues who sort of has a crush on her, but not quite. And yeah, go figure, super Robert Downey. Go figure, he played an obnoxious character though, right? Like he's <laughs> the king of that now. Something I also really want to to point out is Penelope Cruz's character, the way she portrays a woman who has been completely torn apart by horrifying experiences in her life is super intense. Yeah. All acting in this movie was, was from what I felt, extremely intense. Because this is not just, oh, I'm scared, there's ghosts everywhere. This movie portrays the horrors of mental illnesses. The um, It preys on the fear that you suddenly wake up inside a cell in this almost grotesquely overplayed mental asylum and nobody believes that you're not crazy. And that's a frightening thought. That aspect is very, very good. You feel like you're not being taken serious. And that's actually really frightening because anyone who's actually ever been in a psych ward, it can be very unnerving and frustrating and just tiring to deal with people who do not want to talk to you outside of this strict standard that they have. Yeah, I, I must admit, the whole movie gives you, in the first half of it, it gives you this almost nauseating vertigo with the way it's filmed, the way it's cut, the way it's edited. You really feel the chaos of being out of your mind, and you feel you feel the isolation. I felt the isolation, and a lot of the... it has this, like, very thorough blue filter going on, and I think it gets a little... well, you start noticing it after a while, yeah. but it, it helps... it helps with the vibe. It definitely makes things a lot darker. It's it's clever. There's a lot of really clever things in this movie, but uh, I would have really liked it if this was just her being crazy. I wish there was no ghost shenanigans in this. I think this would have been a much... Yeah, I, I think it would have been a better movie if there's no ghost shenanigans. What, what were you going to say about that? Well, I personally like the whole uh, ghost shenanigan things, as you put it. Uh, because, well... There is a lot of stories about, well, people who have these problems and issues being sure that it is something supernatural or people who experience supernatural things and then attributed to them or others being crazy. It's this whole duality of the situation that's explored. Because honestly, well, I didn't read anything about this movie before I watched it and I was very much in doubt, is this really a portrayal of a woman's descent into madness or does it really have a supernatural edge to it? Uh, well, it turns out that the director and scriptwriter chose to go with a supernatural direction, but it would have worked just as well, I think, if they had gone with a more um, a more believable, yeah. like yeah, exactly, you know, more realistic, no route. ghost shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. Like I, it could have went either way. It sort of cheapens uh, the whole theme in a way of mental health. I, I feel, but that's well, just me. I personally, well, I personally think that. The reason why the ghost things worked for me was because the whole movie has a very cartoonish feel to it. It has an almost like you read like a dark comic book of sorts, mm -hmm. with the way it's visually done. Uh, it could honestly have been cut halfway through uh, because it turns into more of a like thriller, uh, murder investigation thing towards the end. It worked very well, but once you get out of the the asylum, well, it it takes a, a different turn. My favorite scene near the end was where she's confronting the sheriff and they're doing that, they're having that run through the station. 
oh yeah, that was... Oh. <laughs> because it wouldn't be past this movie to let the main character die. Yeah. It really wouldn't. <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat. And the trickery of reflections played a very important part in uh, the sheriff essentially dying. And it, when he died, it was very comical. I thought the effects were very silly. And it, it was actually... I removed myself for a moment from the uh, experience, and I was like, man, that's actually really funny. And I, I watched that scene over and over again, and the way that he uh, blows up is just, it's silly. And then she, then Halle Berry shoots him in the head as he's on fire. It's just, like, <laughs> I, well, I, well, I, I mean, it funny. You know, I fired a gun before, and, you know, hitting somebody in the head is pretty difficult. Maybe I'm just a bad bad person at handling guns i can't say but like where would she have gun training from anyway who am i to judge uh what i also think about this movie what, what worked very well in my experience was the soundtrack by john ottman it's very minimalistic yeah it has it's this actually it really really good and, and uh the and i was i was going to mention um good old uh wimp biscuit does the oh. ending song <laughs> behind blue oh, eyes no. it does a cover of it and it's so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you sit through, the, I must admit, I sat through this movie and I was personally very moved by it. Um, it touched a lot of strings in me where I was, I could relate, feel I could relate to all these characters a lot. And we sit there and Limp Biscuit starts, no one knows what, what it's, it's like, like to, to be the bad man. And I was, no, stop it. I, I Stop it. But well, <laughs> but that's uh, not, maybe not for really. another, another type of review. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, I really liked the idea of this ghost being, like, using Halle Berry's character as, uh, sort of revenge against, uh, Sheriff, in a way. And her, and her own husband as well. Yeah, I think this ghost, um, could actually maybe represent, if we go with a different interpretation, which I've been thinking about a little, is that maybe... There is no ghost. Maybe it's maybe she knew all along, and she just imagines this ghost as. Uh, oh, she just creates this there. fantasy in her head. She, exactly because it's easier to deal with, with a ghost oh than maybe her own. Uh, well, it, you know, just to give it a bit more of a mindfuck twist. On the other hand, well, this ghost uh, at one point scratches uh, the words "not alone" into her arm, and it forms these very brutal scars. Uh, except the scars tend to move through the movie. Yeah. <laughs> And, well, it could be, you know, ghostly scarification, which is pretty creepy. Or it, it could be a continuity error, or it could maybe be intentional that, that it is something she is... Why was this movie even called Gothica? I don't get it. What's what's the meaning behind the name? It has a sort of gothic feel to it, in a way, you know? With yeah, little, no, I, the, I, I the grim, dark mental asylum thing going on. And it also has some... Uh, the religious aspects with the, uh, the anima sola concept. Right, that's the... Um woman in purgatory it's a woman and yeah it's a woman in purgatory basically and it's just like a medieval type image imagery which plays a huge role in this movie um and it indicates uh, female suffering before ascending to heaven and it um it's a, a vital plot device in uh, miranda gray halberry's character discovering who the rapist and murderer in this in the asylum is because she sees uh, a tattoo that he has which is the sheriff. So yeah. if you were if you were scared of spoilers, well, it's too late. I'm sorry. 
I mean, you you like if you haven't seen the movie, if you want to watch it, you're gonna be like, oh man, why have this? Why did they have to spoil everything? And if you have watched it, you're gonna be like, oh fuck these guys. I so disagree with your interpretation of the ghost not even being there. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it grossed like like 142 millions or something. Which uh, uh, do you know what the budget was for it? I think it was around 40, 40 million. So it made like. It made yeah. it made its money back three times. That is a huge success. Yeah. And I really I really think this movie deserves it. It's one of the better horror movies that I've seen in a long, long time. Um, the director is also Matthew Kasovich, and he did... It's a Babylon AD, isn't it? Yeah, he did that one too. Babylon AD. Holy jeez. Yeah, same That's director, a blast same from director. the past. Yeah, I definitely felt um, the whole take on the, the, the mental health stigma um, was was bravely undertaken this movie where instead of saying we have a scary crazy killer you could have done that you could have done mm-hmm. Halberry goes crazy and kills people no 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 she doesn't go crazy it's a ghost which gives an an alternative explanation and this movie it it goes in and it takes beautiful Halberry playing a beautiful character and it just fucks it up within the first 15 minutes and you just sit there what the fuck is happening this is scary and you feel the journey you feel the descent into absolute terror and madness and confusion it's very well executed i think in terms of how it goes with the plot it's concise and there's a beginning a middle and the end i like that i like that that happens yeah definitely i agree on on that a lot i i would say all in all this, as I've mentioned before, is one of the better horror movies that I've seen due to the, the sheer quality of production, the sheer quality of the acting, the uniqueness of the plot. And, well, it has, you know, it has Robert Downey Jr. in it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I keep remembering that phone call where uh, she's she calls Robert Downey Jr. and he's in his car. And he, you can tell it's like early 2000s because he has a flip phone. In yeah. his car. <laughs> it's super vintage. And I remember <laughs> the I remember one of her lines was, I don't believe in ghosts, but they believe in me. Yeah. <laughs> it was very it was very funny. <laughs> and he's just like, No, oh, you're so crazy. <laughs> yeah, he does Oh my god, like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. You know Well he might be used to playing Iron Man now, but goddamn, does he just play good obnoxious people? Well, did you know that actually in the filming of this movie, he was so obnoxious that he accidentally broke Halberry's arm? You know, uh, I did, <laughs> Really? It's true. I did not know that, but that is hilarious. So, man, that must have stopped production for a while. Jesus. Like, that's like three-month heal time, at least. Probably. Yeah, she's super cool. I mean, she she's Catwoman, after all. Yeah. <laughs> or, wait, we do not talk about the incident. Speaking of cats... I know I, I have I keep saying this, but goddamn, everybody in this movie's so goddamn hot. <laughs> <laughs> they just really are. Oh, so you're like you have a thing for crazy chicks? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. I've had my fair so... share of problems. Oh, so so that's why you're an ex. Okay, good to know. Good yeah, to well, know. hey, come on now. Everybody's on <laughs> X for a reason. Some people believe that you can split your consciousness and make it an entirely new person that only you can see. Hey man, tulpas are people too. Come on. I'm not. I'm, we talked hey, about not, this last time too. Come I'm not, on. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. <laughs> Anyhow, I'd say it's, it's like it feels like a like in a way a clean horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. It's not gory, bloody, and grisly. And the the blood and gore elements are 
relevant. They feel relevant. Um, I think it, it would be something you could actually... Well, if you have... You could watch it with your family, I'd say. Depending on your family, of course. But I'd say this would be a... Uh, a watch it with friends kind of horror movie. Yeah, it's very... You're not going to see, like, hostile levels of gore. It's not like that. In the end, obviously, the guy... Uh, the sheriff gets lit on fire, and then he has his... He has his gunshot to the head. The most gory thing I saw was the... Uh, her husband getting axed. Yeah, well, I personally got... I personally got very... Um, I felt very sick to my stomach from the whole, like not alone thing being scratched into her arm okay because yeah, it, it yeah. preys on the horror of like self-mutilation and suddenly she wakes up and everybody tells her you did this to yourself and she does not remember any of it and like imagine waking up and something is written on your arm and you don't you don't know what happened it's a very that would be it's very scary freaky as fuck i mean oh, that was fucking freaky uh i would actually in terms of uh, movies like this if you want, like, a different style of ghost revenge movie, you could probably go with something like The Ring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah, because there's, there's a lot of similarities, but not it's not, like, overbearing or anything. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely... It's a solid film. The only thing that I can actually really compliment it on is having the guts to uh, even remotely tackle mental illness like this. Yeah, I definitely think that this movie takes on the mental health question in a way more mature way than just crazy serial killer will psychopathically slaughter people. It tackles it in a way more subtle and more grotesque way that really plays on how you would feel if something like this happened to you. How your normal life would be disturbed. And that's why I think that this movie is relevant and you guys should watch it. knows what, what it's, it's like, like to, to be, be the bad man. man i don't believe in ghosts but they believe in me, 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 me. well that was fucking trash holy shit someone really should cancel this show at least nobody killed themselves or something anyway i guess that's the end of the episode there will be more but who knows when we'll actually get off our asses and do stuff until next time, stay spooky. You know what? No, fuck, fuck that. Why do I care if they are spooky or not? These guys spend their days in their fucking basement stuffing their faces with Doritos and pretending they can read spell books or something. Fuck me. No, fuck you. You fucking cut my dick.